Welcome to episode 54 of the Ask Achieve show, where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Pack, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today, we'll be talking about how to improve your handstand walks, letting slow twitch muscles dictate your training, and working around elbow tendonitis. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. What's up, Achievers? Episode 54. Yeah, we had a really exciting weekend. We took a childbirthing class. Yeah, it was a good eight hours of <laughs> in the hospital learning specific birthing techniques. Jason learned the hip squeeze. Yeah, the hip squeeze. It's a very popular move in the birthing <laughs> circles. And uh, yeah, I thought I got pretty proficient with it, actually. Yeah, the instructor kept coming by and being like, great job, Jason. Excellent, yeah. excellent pressure. Excellent, excellent hip squeezing. <laughs> um, but it was good. It was very informative. The instructor was actually just really good actually just in terms of presenting the information saying like here here are the pros and cons and not like kind of leaning into one sort of direction but just kind of like being like hey based on your situation um this is information and then just take with it what you will everything has pros and cons and um i thought the approach was really um just well thought out and well presented yeah she i mean definitely like it's hard to know when you've never gone through childbirth before like can I do a natural childbirth or am I going to need pain medicine or like you, you just don't know. And you want to like, I have an idea in my head of kind of what I want my birth plan to look like. Um, but I also wanted to know just all of the options that were available to me. I'd rather be overly informed than like trying to make decisions in the moment while in pain and like <laughs> going through all that. So I wanted to just take, you know, I know it sounds like a long time to be there for eight hours to listen to Think something that's just going to inevitably happen anyway. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like some people's thing is like, well, it's just going to happen to me, so I'm just going to do it. But I, I just wanted to know all of my options and um, know which decisions were in my control, which might be out of my control, and be able to try to do the best, the best that I can. Yeah. And <laughs> so. going back to the instructor real quick, I, I think it's it's something that we try to emulate um, as well in terms of how we present information. Um, she. First of all, personally had experience. I think she has three kids. Right. And then she's personally actually delivered. She said thousands of thousands babies. Thousands of babies. <laughs> and she has grandkids at this yeah. point, so she's been doing it for a while. She also um, reads a lot of the research and understands a lot of like the literature um, and just stays current with a lot of the stuff. And then not only that, she actually had a doula in training, which I think midwives and doulas, I think they're like relatively on the same page, but not like perfectly on the same mm-hmm. page right and she kept actually asking the doula her experience and her background and what they do in australia because that's where uh, the doula is from and you know that's something that we try to do as well um, first of all we obviously try to maintain our fitness levels and then we've coached a lot of people and then you know we're always trying to learn and understand what's being current right now and making sure that we don't just rest on our laurels type of thing and then we want to present the information in just a way that it's information and just let the end consumer or follower or listener um, come up with a solution for themselves because everyone is different rather than preaching some sort of message or being overly um, leaning towards one direction just because of a previous bias or experience that we've had. Yeah. 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 And she did an awesome job of that. Yeah. So that's very cool. Cool. It's, we're always looking at things from like what we're learning. And even if it's not related to fitness, we can always relate it back to what we do and how we can make ourselves even better. And I thought she was just somebody who obviously has even more experience in her own field than we do in ours. And yeah. it was cool to learn from her from both both perspectives of 
being a student and kind of being an observer of the way she presented the information. Yeah. So awesome. Cool. All right. So let's get into the questions. We are going to start with a question from biggest techs. <laughs> and they said, I'm having trouble with my handstand walk. I've plateaued at about 10 to 15 feet before losing my balance and having to go back to my feet. My problem is always the same. I'm falling backward to my start position. What drill, what drills can improve my handstand walk? Um, um, Lauren, let me take this one. Actually, I'm pretty good at handstands. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of tell you everything you know about handstands. I think my actually. longest handstand was three seconds long. So. <laughs> and that a, was like barely hanging on. There was a point in time where you were really practicing and you were starting to. We're working on a little bit, but but Lauren is actually a state handstand champion. Yeah, I what? am. I when I I mean this was many moons ago, but <laughs> when I was I think I was like 13 the first time, maybe 12 or 13. Um, maybe younger. I can't even remember. Anyway, we had a, a meet. Um, it was actually the Connecticut Cup, so it was actually New England champ, handstand champion. Oh, okay. There was uh, like gymnasts from all over New England and regional. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at the end of the meet, so it used to be that they right now with gymnastics meets, they just plug the scores into a computer system, and then they have the award ceremony like immediately after the meet is over. Yeah. But back then there were no computers because <laughs> I'm ancient <laughs> now. That makes me feel so old. Um, or at least no computer systems in place. They had their abacuses. So and they were, just <laughs> they were sliding. well, they would handwrite all of the scores, and uh-huh. then they would have these runners my brother was always a runner who would like run the score sheet from from um event to event and then at the end we'd, they'd hand them all into the judges and they'd sit there and hand like add all the scores and then write down in order who was first who was second who was third like it took forever were there so, any mistakes where they had to like recall there it? sometimes were like yeah. they'd be like oh there was a, like the ju- the um judges would hand the coaches back the cards and then the coaches might look at it and be like oh hey like this Scores these scores actually don't add up to this. And did you see anything drastic where like someone had to give back their medal or something like something really, crazy like I that? I don't know. I'm I'm sure that there were like switches like oh second and third or whatever. Like yeah. I know that that happened, but I don't think it was ever nothing, like nothing major, too dramatic, nothing scandalous. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. Um, but anyway, <laughs> in that like three hour period of the judges uh, adding up the scores, they were always just trying to like entertain the kids with whatever. Um, and so in this particular meet, they had a handstand contest. And so they had every team, there were probably like 20 teams um, from all around New England. They had every team compete against each other. So your whole team would go and see who could stay up in a handstand the longest from your team. And then that person who won from your team was the representative from your, from your team. And then all of those representatives, like the top 20 girls, would go into the middle and do a full handstand contest for like the handstand champion. Yeah. And my team was the last team to go. So I had just gotten out of my handstand and I had one girl on my team who knew I was going to win, but she still stayed up there with me forever. And I was like, <laughs> just go down just so I can rest. You. Yeah. yeah, she totally pre-fatigued me. Um, and then I had to go right into the next round. Um, but I still won. Crushed it. Crushed it. I have trophies. I, and so I actually won every year that we did. I think we had three. There were three different years in a row that we went to that meet and I won every one. Yeah. So, so kind of a big deal so in the I New England handstand circuit. I have some handstand practice. <laughs> it actually came because it, the reason that I'm good at handstands is because I broke both of my feet. Um, I had surgery on both of my feet and I was in casts for three months. <laughs> and the only thing I could do was handstands. Yeah. So I went to practice. It's one way to get good at them. Don't be able to do anything else but (laughs) handstands. But I practiced for so long that I just kind of got really proficient. Um, But there were definitely some things that I did that I can talk about that um, that really help in that journey of getting to the handstand, and then also just being able to stay up there longer. So 
The first thing I would say is alignment is going to be your best friend when it comes to handstand walks. And it drives me as a gymnast, it drives me crazy when I watch the CrossFit games and watch (laughs) them flailing their legs around as they're walking forward. Um, The reason that they do that, and there is a reason, is um, if you see CrossFitters with their feet kind of their back really arched and their feet like in the direction pointed in the direction that they're walking um it's for momentum so they're trying to go fast um and they're all probably already pretty proficient at being upside down so they have a little bit more control going quickly and they're using their feet to pull them almost to like pull them over and they're walking to prevent them from falling Uh, so that whole walk is almost like a stumble not to fall kind of action (laughs) that that works for them and it makes them go fast. But I wouldn't say that it's a good starting out strategy and definitely not something that you're going to be able to get good at while like without having that background of really solid handstand alignment. So I would start with a lot of wall handstands. Um, I think that a really good, it's good to do both kicking up to the wall, like with the, your back to the wall and also walking up the wall with your face to the wall. Um, the face to the wall ones actually help you to get into a better hollow position so that you can actually kind of stay a little more aligned. Back to the wall, your feet end up a little bit behind you. So if you tend to fall over backwards, I would actually recommend doing the other way, doing the face to wall, um, because that way you get a better sense of how not to overkick. Um, once you're comfortable on the wall, I would do some shoulder taps. So you can do these on the wall too. So with your, with your feet against the wall or either way, facing the wall or back to the wall, um, take one hand and bring it to your opposite shoulder, then place it back down on the floor and then switch sides. And that's going to just get you comfortable being on one arm at a time. And you'll notice you do have to shift your weight slightly. You have to kind of let your upper, like if you're shifting over to the right, onto your right hand, you're legs have to go slightly to the left just to counterbalance everything. And if you're on the wall, you'll have a chance to actually feel that. um, So you don't just fall right away. So I'd say shoulder taps are really good. You can progress from shoulder taps to hip taps, which are going from all the way from the floor, bringing the hand all the way up and tapping your hip and back down. So it just increases the amount of time that you're on one arm to get more comfortable on one hand. Um, And then from there, I would say just practicing freestanding handstands with good alignment without the wall and then eventually starting to walk. Um, But if you skip any of those early steps, I I just think you're setting yourself up to feel like you're always just fighting this like momentum slash balance issue Mm. instead of feeling like you're just really in control. Um, And then also trying not to take massive steps with your hands also. Mm. I would say sometimes a lot of people try to overreach with their hands, but actually smaller steps tend to keep you in more control. Yeah. Um, One thing that I'll add in as kind of like a programming note, um, instead of just going and doing your max handstand walk every single time, when you do that, more than likely your form will start to be compromised. So something that we like to do instead is increase sets rather than increasing duration. So let's say you can hold um, a handstand and walk for about 10 seconds or so, and that's like your absolute max. Um, and around nine, 10 seconds is when things get a little bit hairy. What we'd recommend is doing sets of about six or seven second handstand walks. Maybe you do three rounds of that. And then the next workout, you do four rounds of that. And then the next workout, five rounds of that. And then finally, maybe the workout after that, you can start doing back to three rounds, but eight or nine seconds, because now you've built up that quality time under tension. Um, so that's one way to do it. Making sure you don't go fully to your max 
effort handstand walk um, and kind of dialing things back a little bit in order to continue to increase sets. That increases your overall time under tension, your overall duration, and have will have a much better net effect. Totally. Cool. Cool. All right. We'll move on to question number two. This one is from Lila G in DC. Yep. Biology in DC. <laughs> um, she asked. Wow, know, that's the first time that I actually. I actually always thought it was lilac. Yeah. <laughs> and I just realized as I was we, reading it out we've loud. We've spoken to Lila via Skype as well. So. Yeah, we should have known that it was Lila for yeah, sure. Yeah, and then Lila wow. in DC. It makes so much oh, sense. So clever, Lila. Great job. Good job. Great handle. Um, so she asked. You talked recently about slow twitch and fast twitch um, muscles, which I think was maybe two episodes ago. Yeah. Um, and then she said, "I'm totally a slow twitch gal." Is there any way to improve my explosive strength or should I just accept that things like box jumps and pistol squats are not in my future, no matter how strong I am? So if someone is more slower twitched, um, fiber muscle, whatever, um, (laughs) it's not to say that you are not going to be able to increase your explosive power. You can definitely do that. It's more just talking about how you just have a predisposition toward more endurance-based things, and you might just not get world-class at, let's say, sprinting. Like, in order to get world-class, you just need to be, first of all, genetically predisposed and then have a very strong training work ethic to continue to maximize that effort. Um, But there's no reason for you to become much faster and stronger uh, based on your own levels. Right. No reason not to become faster and stronger. Yeah, not to become. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's no reason to become faster and stronger. Um, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think that if you're like going to be a professional athlete and you're trying to choose your sport and you know that you're more prone to like having slow twitch muscles, then you probably you'd be putting yourself at a real disadvantage if you tried to become a hundred meter sprinter. Yeah. And it's not even to say that you can't do it, but it's going to be extremely challenging for you. Um, and so instead what people tend to do is like, Hey, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try like trail running or marathon running. And that tends to suit you better. And you might feel like, Oh, this is easier for me to excel at. It's easier for me to do well at, but not everything that you do in the gym or everything, every exercise that you choose has to be something that comes naturally to you. Um, we think there's a lot of benefit in doing things that don't come naturally to you and, and kind of seeing how much you can push yourself and how, how much stronger you can get even in things that don't necessarily come so easily to you. Yeah. Like for example, like I'm more of a fast twitch person and like I can jump really high, that sort of thing, but I can barely run a mile without being like, this is horrible. (laughs) I feel miserable. Um, and so like, yeah, I can work on my endurance, but first of all, I'm just not going to like it. Second of all, it's going to take much longer for me to, um, develop my endurance capabilities, but it's also not to say that I can't do it. I, I can if I really wanted to, but um, yeah. Yeah, so you just don't want to. And yeah. Sometimes that's the thing. It's like you also have to make that decision of like, do I want to try to push towards something that I'm not naturally good at or do I just not really want to? And that's yeah. okay too. So if, you, if you're thinking like, maybe I just won't do box jumps because actually I kind of hate them and I feel like I was just doing them because everyone told me to do them. That's a totally legit reason to just not do them anymore. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, I wish I could do box jumps, but I feel like it's outside of my 
my comfort zone and it's like more for people who are more fast switch muscles like but you want to do them I don't think that's a reason not to I think for in that case you're just gonna have to start out a little bit on a lower box and work it's gonna take you a little bit longer to progress to a higher box jumping higher and getting more powerful and more explosive but it's not to say that you can't do it it's just to say that it's gonna be a little bit harder for you you may see people you know who started at the same time as you progress a little bit faster don't let that discourage you or make you feel like you're doing any less work like it's really all about the effort that you're putting in um so if jason wanted to run a marathon he could yeah it would just he would personally hate it (laughs) (laughs) um yeah in terms of uh power exercises that really most people can do um we like to go with um like plyo push-ups but off an incline so off like a a bench let's say and that bench height can be as tall or as um, low as you would like it to be um so you can do push-ups where your hands actually leave the bench at the top of the push-up um, it can be box jumps like you're talking about um, you can use um, you had this example in fit 101 but grabbing a trx and using that to assist your jump um, it can also just like unload it and just help uh, to develop power but then also even in your strength training sessions Thinking about, let's say you're squatting down. You squat down normal tempo on the way down, just moderate tempo. But then on the way up, really thinking about standing up as quickly as possible. That also helps to engage more fast switch muscles, helps to increase uh, your rate of force development, which increases your power. Um, So these are all just ways that you can maximize your fast switch fiberness. but yeah, these are, yeah, you, you can definitely improve your fast switch fibers. Basically. Yeah, there's yeah. no, there's nobody who's 100% slow twitch muscles and 100% fast twitch. So there's nobody who can't improve one or the other. True. It's just that you you can't like change the ratio necessarily of what you have to uh-huh. the other. But it doesn't mean that you can't do the exercises that require more fast twitch or more slow twitch muscles. Yeah. So. All right. And then the last question, this one comes from, from fat to fit 2018. Um, they asked, have you ever had tennis elbow slash tendonitis of the elbow? I'll get it. If I do planks slash curls slash rowing for a few days in a row, how can you train around it? What are some bicep building exercises that won't irritate my elbow? Additionally, how, or what would you recommend to aid the healing process? So this is a, this is a really good question. Uh, I was go, I was gonna go in a certain route with this one. But I actually happened to click on this person's profile. And um, the first workout that I actually saw was uh, the first circuit of the first workout that I saw was row 1,000 meters, lat pull down, bicep curl. And then the second circuit was row 1,000 meters, some plank stuff. And then the third circuit was row 1,000 meters and some more um, kettlebell slash bicep curl and pressing stuff. So, yeah, it makes sense, basically. Tendonitis is basically an overuse thing. You overuse one area of your body, one joint, and that joint gets inflamed and causes pain anytime you start to work back on that joint. Um, You know, traditionally, the standard advice is to just rest, ice, um, compression, uh, using uh, uh, NSAIDs like ibuprofen and stuff like that. And that's definitely a good short-term fix when you actually already have it. When Whenever we're looking at tendonitis, we're always trying to look at um, how we can reduce overall volume. So if someone, someone just starts going from not having run at all to running five miles, 
more than likely they're going to develop tendonitis in the knees because it's just too much too soon. Their tendons aren't prepared for it. So we're always trying to see how we can manage the volume and making sure that we go underneath the line of creating excess inflammation, but making sure that we go almost up to it where we make sure that we continue to spur adaptation. So it's a tough line to kind of balance out. I think just this, this, like, this series of workouts is fine. It's just causing too much repetitive elbow flexion. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, just a lot of this stuff is um, whenever we see workouts like this where there are a lot of exercises, like 15 to 20 different exercises, um, a lot of times overuse stuff can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what we'd recommend for this person in particular is to go off a program that involves a lot fewer exercises. Um, an, an example of a program that we like is Strong Lifts 5 by 5 And that program, I think, has like four or five exercises. And all it's about is about five sets of five for each exercise and very slowly, incrementally loading the weight. And for someone who's used to circuit-based training or Tabata-based training and HIIT training, things like that, this sort of um, uh, format, format, more minimalist workout seems like they're not doing anything. It seems like, um, like I'm not getting a good workout in, but in reality, as long as you're using compound exercises and you're slowly increasing weights over time, it's doing a lot for your body while also minimizing any potential, um, overtraining effect, over um, inflammation effect, like you like you would rarely hear about someone developing tendonitis due to a general 5x5 five five strength training program. But you might hear about inflammation and tendonitis-based stuff for someone who's doing something very repetitive, um, like running or maybe like rowing quite a bit or climbing quite a bit. And there's things a reason like it's called tennis elbow, like the same repetitive yeah. motion in tennis over and over again. Um, yeah. So, so um, yeah, I would just say maybe skewing your workouts for the next three, four, five months or so. Check out Strong Lift 5x5. Um, check out um, Starting Strength. These are all like similar-based programs that go really into compound lifting and make make it so that you're developing total body strength rather than doing a lot of exercises that target just one particular area of the body and could promote overtraining. Uh, but again, just a disclaimer, it's going to feel like it's nothing based on your circuit training workouts, but in the long term, it's going to help just develop a really strong foundation for you so that you can then go back to some of the circuit training stuff for a little while and feel much more prepared and your joints are going to feel a lot better for it. Yeah, I think I've spoken uh, maybe a few episodes ago about a friend of mine who was doing like spin classes and high intensity classes and finally convinced her to go more toward on toward a strength training program. And the, her first few months, she was really like, I know that you're the expert, but like this feels really <laughs> slow and I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And I was like, please just trust me. Like I yeah. promise. Um, we have enough anecdotal evidence now to know that like people are going to feel like it's not enough. And then by like month three, they're going to start seeing results that they're really surprised by and, and they're going to start feeling better. Nothing's going to be aching. Things aren't going to be aching as much because they're not sitting on a bike for an hour. They're not Mm -hmm. rowing for hours. And so, um, trust the process and, and know that it will feel a little bit like you'll have the moments of self doubt where you're like, 
I need to just, all right, I'll do this, but then I'm going to go row for 2000 meters. Cause I need to, <laughs> I need to sweat like that. I used to do that all the time. Like yeah. I just need to feel like I did something at the end. Um, if you do need to sweat at the end, that's fine. Just make sure that you vary what you're doing that, like how you're doing that and not mm-hmm. always choosing the row or always choosing the same kind of joints that you're using. Um, so not also not always running kind of changing it up, maybe using a bike one day, a row or another day and like a sled or, um, jump rope or something like that. So just varying how you get that little burst of high intensity at the end. Yeah. And I mean, Emily's doing basically deadlifts, squats, lunging, pull-up motions, press. yeah, bench press and push-up motions, and just doing that. And we're just slowly either lowering the depth on her push-ups or increasing the amount of weight on her deadlifts, and just very slowly over time. Now she's doing five pull-ups. She's been here for like four like months. She's seven now. Just, like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's just, crazy. Um, yeah. just, just slow, steady, consistent progress with strength training just has uh, enormous benefit. And now she's just she says her arms are feeling more toned. Just she yeah. just feels leaner overall, uh, without having to do you know half the cardio that she was doing on her like class pass membership that she was on before. Right. Um, you know, um, in terms of bicep building, um, so working on that that strength training program will just automatically have uh, huge benefits for your biceps, especially increasing your barbell bent over row will have um, strong implications for your biceps. Um, it could be that maybe she functionally wants to work on her biceps. Maybe she's a climber. Um, if that's a case and you really want bicep specific exercises in there, um, I would recommend just doing the same ones that you have been doing, but just less and maybe working on tempo work. So let's say just a standard bicep curl, you're standing, just slowly raise up and flex your elbows and squeeze your biceps at the top and then slowly come back down. And using that tempo can really help to develop good tendon strength and also makes it so that you're not overusing that muscle. You, you won't get a ton of reps in, but you're still getting a tremendous biceps benefit. You're getting a lot of time under tension and you're just building your joints up in a very safe way. When people start to go too high up on the bicep curl, like weights and reps and they swing their bodies like this was me in, in college. I was doing 45-pound dumbbell curls, and I was flailing my back to try to get the weights up there. Um, yeah, and my elbows didn't feel great. <laughs> but now I use 20-pound dumbbells, very slow tempo, and I get the benefit that I want without stressing my joints as much. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Great. Good questions. Yeah, awesome yeah, questions. Yeah, a little bit different questions. Thank yeah. you, everybody, for those. Um, yeah, it was fun to, fun to answer some new ones. Yeah. So I believe those are all the answers that we have to your burning questions for today. We would love to get some more questions from you. So if you wouldn't mind sending us some over at Achieve Fitness Boston on Instagram, you can private message us there. You can send us an email at podcast at AchieveFitnessBoston.com. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us an iTunes review, we would be super, super grateful for that as well. Yes. And until next time, <laughs> peace, love, and... And muscles. muscles.